do pray for each of the foster families uh, before um, we dive into your word. We're th thankful for the heart that you've given that you've given them to be able to go and um, and minister to these kids uh, who are uh, are lost in a lot of ways. But uh, we know that children, uh, young kids, are special in your eyes, and you want them to come to you. We hope that as a, as a church that we um, come alongside these foster parents and that the foster parents will just continue to love on them the way that you want them to and, and that they can know you uh, through just providentially how you place them uh, in their homes. We hope that uh, you create a desire in the church as a whole that um, all of us are involved in outreach uh, to make ourselves distinct and be, and be light and salt to the world. Um, we give them and show them a love that is different from what the world has to offer. Lord, as we go into your text now, uh, we are humbled by the fact that we uh, get to hear your word. Um, may we never take it for granted. It may change our hearts and minds and which leads us to a life of obedience, Lord. Thank you for this time. I pray these things in your son's name. Amen. All right, Revelation chapter 3, verse 7 to 13. This is going to be the text for us this evening. Revelation chapter 3, verse 7 to 13. Let's start by reading the text. And to the angel, the church in Philadelphia writes, He who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens, says this. I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door which no one can shut because you have little power uh, and you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. I will make them come and bow down at your feet and make them know that I have loved you because you have kept the word of my perseverance. I also will keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. I'm coming quickly. Hold fast what you have so that no one will take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. He will not go out from it anymore, and I'll write on him the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. We understand in life that there are things called, there's different access points to things. Uh, in certain restaurants, uh, they've, they've made it so that you know, handicap, there's like a handicap uh, way for people to go up easier. And um, there are just different uh, ways in which the world functions that way. Uh, there's uh, access points and even in different countries that we have the privilege to visit different countries. In some of the countries, it requires you to have a visa so they make different barriers uh, just to screen you to make sure that you are you should be there legally. Um, and, you know, depending on the place that you go to, some places are easy, other places are harder. Um, but to go from point A to point B is uh, it's just part of life. And we understand that even in in our spiritual life, that it's it's the same way. To get from point A in this life to point B to heaven, there is only one access point, and that is through Jesus Christ. The only access that we have to, uh, to God is through Christ Jesus. And if you think about life in that way, you will understand that the entire Bible is that story. How can we have access to God again? 
because of sin, because of what Adam and Eve have done at the garden, because they were casted out, how can man be reconciled to have access to the Lord? Throughout the entire Old Testament, the only way that people can have access through God was through the sacrificial system. Uh, they needed to be holy, and there's nothing that they can do in their own lives to be holy. So they would offer an animal sacrifice, and the, or, or the priest would do, the, do that for them. They would offer sacrifices after sacrifices in hopes that they can uh, draw close to the Lord. And this is anticipation throughout the entire Old Testament that one day there will be uh, a, a way to be done away with all of the sacrificial system uh you know in the way that you have access to the lord if you remember even the new testament there was a there was a giant like uh i guess uh, a curtain there's a giant curtain from the temple and that's will be a symbolic thing of like how man is on one side and the holy god is the other and there is no way from a person gets from one side to the other without being holy but you recall when christ died on the cross that that curtain was torn in two symbolizing now that we have access to the Lord because of what he has done on the cross. Uh, there's nothing that we can do and there's nothing that we can do. Uh, there's nothing we can work or do in our life in order to achieve that, which means that our greatest desire, and it should be our greatest desire, our greatest need really is how can we have access to God? And I think this is what uh, the point of this passage is about. The, the, the churches in Philadelphia, they're struggling. Uh, they're struggling because there are these Jews that claim to have access to God. They're persecuting them. Much like if you read the book of Hebrews, there are these Jewish people that are persecuting the Christians, and they claim that they have the true way to God. But, the Christ, uh, but through the gospel message, this church is holding fast to, um, to the gospel that they've heard. Uh, Philadelphia is not the Philadelphia uh, that you think of in America. I used to think that when I was like, when I first got saved in like high school, I thought, oh, they're talking about Americans here. I wonder if the 76ers are in this. Um, they're not. This is not about that Philadelphia. This is a different Philadelphia. This is modern day Alish, uh, Alish, Alish, uh which is about 25 miles southeast of where Sardis is, which is the last church we looked at. Um, at one point, Philadelphia was known for their military advantage because of the way the, the location is located. It's kind of like um, situated in a place where it's like has tactical advantage. Over time, this place has become weaker. In fact, in AD 17, there was a major earthquake that shocked both Sardis in Philadelphia. Um, Sardis was able to recover, but Philadelphia was not. It was, in a lot of ways, was the, the epicenter was near Philadelphia, and it crumbled everything, everything about them. Uh, they've lost a lot of things, um, which made them a, a town that people don't want to live at, which is, again, similar to SF. SF in California as a whole is known for earthquakes, and we've had earthquakes in the past, and the quote-unquote big one is coming uh, somewhere down the line. Uh, but Philadelphia was destroyed, was leveled, and then they had to try to rebuild it. And um, the Roman Empire uh, emperor Tiberius uh, tried to help rebuild the city, and the result is that the people built a monument to Rome. Um, Philadelphia is a very small city, um, and it's a very poor city as well. And probably um, the most destitute place uh, has actually, strangely enough, uh, one of the most faithful churches. Um, this area is known for their grapes. It's known for, that that's actually what they, you know, it's known for wine. <laughs> and uh, there was also a strong Jewish community, and they hated the church. These Jews at the time hated Christians. So that's just to, that's to give a, a, a context of what this area is like. But in light of how poor this place is, uh, this is one of the two churches that God actually 
speaks very highly of. Uh, this is um, this is like uh, the persecuted church in Smyrna, where um, they're persecuted, and uh, there was no, there's nothing wrong or nothing bad that Jesus has to say to them. And that's what this church is. This is one of the this is the other church where they were faithful and they have no weaknesses. Um, and again, the reason why we're going through each of these seven churches is not for us to be a critic of our church or any other church, but it's really to evaluate our, our own heart, to see, are we like the people of these churches? Uh, do we operate, do we have their strength? Do we have their weaknesses? Um, and I think to a certain extent, all of us have certain, um, certain have the pros and cons in varying degrees. Uh, the reason why I say that we can think through this that way, because at, at the end of each of the churches, it says, let he who has in ear, let him hear. And this is a general sense of speaking of all the churches at all time, but this, the, the main churches are just examples. Again, these are real churches, real congregations that struggle with real things, um, and real elders, real people. And this is a real letter by Jesus to each of these churches. So again, as we look through the strength and really just the strength and the response, there's no weakness here in this church. I hope that, the, that, you, will, that you will learn from this church, that you see how good they are uh, in their faithfulness to the Lord, and that will inspire you to cling to Christ. That, that you remember the only access point you have to heaven is through Jesus Christ, and you hold on to that hope no matter how difficult the world, uh, the, the persecution comes, or if they come, or when they come in our lifetime. So let's look at Philadelphia's strength. And we see this in verse 7 to 10. Philadelphia's strength. Notice verse 7 to the angel of the church of Philadelphia, right? He who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens, says this. It is interesting because, again, these are the angels don't think of flying, flying angels, think of them as just messengers of the Lord, elders of the church going uh, from John to their respective churches and delivering this message. And Jesus tells them that he is the holy one. He's holy. And this is a unique description because throughout the entire Old Testament, the only time you ever see holiness is either it's always described to God or things of God whether it's the things like the sacrifice of the temple or God himself is always pertains to God. Jesus here is saying that he is holy. And Hosea 11, 9, it says that uh, what makes him different from man is that he is holy. Um, so Jesus is saying that he is God. And this is something that we must remember. Um, a lot of world, uh, you know, world views and thinking, they just see Jesus as just a prophet or just a good teacher, but he's more than just, that those things he is the holy god so when jesus says that he is holy he's he's describing himself an attribute of god because he is god and it says he is holy uh, he who is holy he who who is true and this word true here it's not true in sense of people think of like right and wrong this is it's not that's not the same greek word the greek word here is talks about something that is real versus something that doesn't exist he is saying that he is a god that exists um, there are um, I think Richard Dawkins, at one point, he was debating against John Lennox. And in this argument, he actually said that Jesus wasn't even a real person. And everyone gasped, like even non-believers saying, okay, you cross the line. We know that Jesus is a real person. Whether you believe his divine is this whole separate issue, but to deny that he existed at all, at all time, uh, that's, that's just like, you know, that's just not intellectually honest. Um, so when Jesus is saying that he's true, that's what he's saying. He existed. He's, he's, he's true in that sense, that he is actually real and that he, he's alive. Um, that means that all other idols, all other false religions, they are fake. 
although many claim to be holy or unique, they're actually not. They're very common because they are made by the hands of men or, or, or made by the thoughts of men. Uh, they, they don't exist, but only Jesus, he exists. Our assurance, our assurance in times of persecution is that we worship a God who is holy and is real. Notice that he, uh, the, the passage continues, who, who has the keys of David, who opens and no one will shut and who shuts and no one will open. This is a reference to Isaiah 22, verse 22. In that particular passage, Israel is under siege and God tells them through this one seemingly random individual tells them that uh, there's going to be a, a son of David that's going to have the keys and he's going to be able to open uh, the, the gates. He has this unique privilege to do that. Jesus is using this reference here to say that he is actually that one. He's the only one that can open the gates. He's the only one that can open people into his kingdom and allow people to come in or to close it so that people can't go in. That's what he's trying to say here, that uh, where, who, where, he's the one who decides ultimately who goes into heaven or not. Verse 8, I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door which no one can shut because you have a, you have a little power I have kept my word and have not denied my name again this phrase open uh, an open door which cannot shut we have done so he has he's the one who has the keys and he's also who made the door he decides who opens and closes. in a lot of ways um we understand this concept because our church we have that his name is archie you guys know who he is he decides who gets the keys to go in and out of the church and um he has the master key uh but in a much more greater sense our our lord is like that with our with with eternal things uh, in terms of our salvation he's the one who decides who gets to come in and out he decides who can be before the father and it's again not because of the works of the individual but because of what he's done on their behalf this is that he knows their deeds jesus said this to the other churches he knows them he the works of the church seem small and this is in a sense of scope or the quality or even the value uh, rather, this church is, 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 is small because it's limited in its influence. Remember, this is a city that's crumbled because of earthquakes, and they're just trying to rebuild, and then they're being persecuted. Uh, um, they don't have as, like a, they're not like a, a mega church in a modern-day context. They're just a tiny little church, and they may be only ministering to one or two people. Uh, their whole church congregation might be only be about, like, you know, 15 to 30. I mean, that's, a, that's just a, the, 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 their entire church. Um, again, this is this is this should be an encouragement to us because we know that the Lord doesn't care about numbers. We know that the Lord cares about faithfulness. Uh, the church is building, and if you were to look at modern times, it's not it's not like the place to have the, the coolest um, you know, technology. Doesn't have the nice flooring. Doesn't have nice furniture. Uh, but they what one thing they do have is that they were faithful. They have little power. It's limited in its influence because, again, the whole surrounding that you know, their context is this group of Jews that hate them, and they're just doing their best to hold on to the gospel. Again, this should be encouraging for all of us, especially especially for some of us that are doing ministry. And it seems like it's not having some crazy ripple effect all over San Francisco. Um, it's okay. We don't need to care so much about the results. The only thing that the Lord is encouraged by and blesses is your faithfulness. Um, whatever the ministry may be, if you're doing evangelism and only, um, and you may be doing evangelism for years and years, and only one person comes to saving faith, that's praise the Lord. You know, angels rejoice when that happens. When you have a Bible study or a small group and the same two people only shows up and everybody else seems to be flaky, it's okay. Uh, just be faithful with the numbers that the Lord's given you. 
again, because the Lord's the one who opens and, and decides who comes into the uh, glory and who doesn't. Um, so it is not our job to determine the salvation of the individual. It's just our job to be faithful in whoever the Lord has given us, who's entrusted us with. Um, so matter, so no, it doesn't matter in terms of scope. Just be faithful, just like this, Phil, this church in Philadelphia. No, it's this church that have kept my word and have denied my name. Uh, this word have kept is in uh, the, the Greek word. As it's, it's, it's this idea of keeping it always. It's just, there's no end to it. They just kept holding on to Jesus. Apparently the Jews have persecuted church uh, through their denial of, of, of true doctrine. They rejected the Christian's teaching, rather the apostles and ultimately Jesus' teaching. Uh, this church was few in numbers and a sea that is broken and is constantly attacking them for their faith, and yet they still hold, held on and kept the word. Um, this would mean that it's not easy to be a Christian. You know, in our context, in that San Francisco and the Bay Area, it is going to become harder and harder to be a Christian uh, with things like cancel culture and everything else that makes you feel bad for you know, holding on to certain views that the Bible teaches. And we want to be like the church and that we hold on to, we hold on to truth. It doesn't matter what other people's, what other people say, what our employers say, what our coworkers, classmates, these things do not matter because the only opinion that does matter is the, is the one that's from God. These people here in Philadelphia kept God's word and kept his promise and kept all the promises. No matter how bad things got, they clung to things that they know and heard of Jesus Christ. Verse 9, behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan um, who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. I will make them come and bow down at your feet and make them know that I have loved you. Uh, the Jews told the church that what they have is wrong. They said that it's all about the Levitical system, all the things that they do. We have tradition, we have all these things. Um, you can imagine how hard it is um, because for some of them, it's like it could be family members that are still in the, you know, in the Jewish system and others are not, um, but they could feel isolated. You know, the Christianity is not what you think it is back then. You know, it was not popular to be a Christian. Um, they just knew truth and they held on to it. That's all they had. Um, it, was a, it was a struggle to be a Christian. It seemed that, uh, that they would get some relief and, and freedom if they just deny Jesus. Uh, the Jews used slander and some sort of lie to make it hard for the Christians to live. And again, it's not that far off from what we see today. Right, we see things like media can twist things and they can say things about Christians that aren't true. Um, but we don't care. We, we just need to be faithful where we're at and God will be honored. Notice this, I'll make them come out, these Jews, and bow down on your feet and make them known that I have loved you. This is a reference to Isaiah uh, chapter 60, verse 14. Remember how early on, I think it was, I don't know which uh, message it was, but I said that the more you know the Old Testament, the more some references uh, make sense to you, that there's a clarifying thing. I said that this book, it's like calculus. It's like the, I think, I don't know if calculus is the highest math, or what you, I don't know, I'm not a math person, but just, I'm, I'm using an illustration. If whatever the highest math is, in my mind is calculus. You know, calculus is difficult, not because of how many answers uh, that you can come up with, it's actually, there's only one answer, and you need to know everything, and you need to be precise. And Revelation functions that way. Here it makes this reference to Isaiah chapter 60, verse 14, which talks about how uh, the, the nations 
will bow down and worship, um, will worship uh, God. And in Isaiah 64, the Jews thought that the Gentiles are going to bow down to them because God promised that his people will ultimately be preserved. Um, and there's sort of twists here in that God wasn't speaking of Jews eth in terms of their ethnicity, but rather his people that worship God. And in this context, it's the church. He's going to make this almost like a twist for them when they realize that, oh, the, the Jesus that I've been rejecting this whole time, the church that I was persecuting, they are the ones that are actually um, worshiping the true God. And in the, in the, in the Isaiah 60 is speaking not for the Jews ethnically, but actually speaking against them. Jesus said this and using the Old Testament ideas to get the Jews to realize that they are the ones that will be humbled by God. Jesus is assuring the church that um, through, through these verses that the Jews um, are not actually Jews um, in the sense of like they're not truly followers of God, um, but they are going to eventually be brought down and be humbled. They will know that God loves the people that truly follows Jesus Christ. Verse 10, because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I will also keep you from an hour of testing. That hour, which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Because they have kept uh, the word and knows this is my perseverance. This is God that actually keeps you. God is one who said that he will sustain you. And um, John 14, he says that he's the vine and we're the branches. John 17, yeah. Uh, and uh, in Jude, at the end of Jude, it says this. Um, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, authority, before all time and now and forever. Amen. Jesus is the one that keeps us. His, uh, we believe in his word, we hold to his word, but he's the one that keeps us. Sometimes people think, ask the question, can I lose my salvation? And that's, I get where people are coming from with that question, but really the, we should be asking that question differently. Can, and that question should be, can Jesus keep us? Is there anything that, is there any possible way that we can uh, be taken away from the Lord? And the answer is no. If we truly belong to him, he will keep us no matter how difficult things will be. And Jesus said, I'll keep you away from uh, the hour of testing. If you are in um, adult two, the Sunday school that I'm part of, uh, you know that we're going through 1 Thessalonians. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17, this is where we get, uh, it says that we're we will take we will be taken away. Um, this is that where we get the idea of rapture. Rapture, people say, well, the rapture is not in the word rapture is not in the Bible. It's not in that form, but it's you know, it's a Latin word from a Greek word that basically means rapture. And this word is, is to be it's, it's like a snatching away. Um, it's being taken uh, very quickly and um and it has a very uh, harsh word like meaning to it. it's like violently taking away removing someone from from the face of danger it's like if um if if i see my child uh standing in the middle of the street and a car is coming their way and, and i run out there and grab them and pull them back they may feel like a little whiplash uh but that's the type of uh well, that's what the rapture is supposed to be like that um that when you pull when christ comes we're going to be pulled up from the uh, from the path of danger that is to come now as a kid when i first heard that like oh the rapture is going to happen uh, for christians um i told i i, I mistakenly told the parents 
It's like, hey, uh, if I ever get snatched up by someone random, just look at the Bible and you'll find me in, the, in their minds. I can see why they think, oh, what are you talking about? Are you kidnapped or something? It's like, no. And I've, I had a hard time explaining to them what the rapture is and, you know, all of that. So, you know, when, when you explain the rapture, and I think this, this passage, as long as first, as well as First Thessalonians 4.17, explains that the, Christ, the church is going to be raptured away before the Great Tribulation. And that's what this hour of testing is. Um, from chapter 4 all the way till pretty much uh, to chapter 20, this is all chaos. <clears throat> but there's a reason why Jesus placed this passage here, because these people don't know when Christ is going to return, and they're thinking, well, I'm already going through persecution. Uh, what's what's, what's going to happen next? Um, and Jesus is saying that, look, I will spare you guys. And if you think this is hard, don't worry. I will remove you because something uh, great pain is going to come, and that is when Christ judges and persecutes the world. Um, God will allow the church to go through persecution from man because they hate Jesus, but God will not put the church uh, in, in terms of uh, persecution by him. Uh, during the time of tribulation from basically Revelation 4 until the end, oh, almost the end of the book, is God pouring out his wrath on those that, uh, that rejected him. This is why our church holds this view that we believe that we, you know, we call it pre-tribulation, that the rapture happens before the tribulation. Because the passage like this in First Thessalonians 4 about removing from the hour of testing. Notice this word keep here, um, that, he's, that Jesus will keep us from the hour of testing. This doesn't mean to keep someone through trials. It's keeping them complete, completely out of it. It's to remove them completely. In, in John chapter 12, verse 27, Jesus used the same word. He said, uh, uh, if it's your will, keep me from the, the, what is to come, that persecution time. But he uh, didn't have to go through that. He, he said, but not my will, but your will. He wasn't saying, oh, let me endure it through it, but rather if, it's, if there's a way, remove me completely out of it. And that's what's going on here. Jesus is using that same word. Instead of saying, I'm going to keep you through it, I'm going to actually keep remove you out of it. I'll keep you out of this world as I pour out my wrath onto this world. That's the idea here. And Colossians chapter 1 verse 13 has the same concept where we were, uh, let, me, let me read that to you guys. Colossians chapter 1 verse 13 it says for he rescued us from the domain of darkness transferred us to the kingdom of the beloved son that's the idea of being transferred is it's the same word as keep here it's like we're being kept away and uh, uh, by being moved to another place and the reason why i say that is because it's from and it's like out um in revelation it says that we're we will be he'll keep you out from the hour of testing in the Greek, the word out is the word ek. It sounds uh, weird, uh, but it, that's the word ek. And in, the, in our English mindset, we sometimes think of prepositions. as We don't use prepositions the way that they are meant to be used. You know, preposition are above, below, across, below, and all that stuff like that. Um, you because know, like even if we read the Bible, sometimes like we say, "Oh, reading from this book, in this book, through this book, uh, out of this book." They they all mean the same thing, but in the Greek, "ek" means out, meaning like it's removing from one proximity to the next. Uh, you're being taken out from one place to another, and uh, it's physically taking you out from and, and he's moving you. And that's what Jesus is trying to say. These little grammars here in, in the vocabulary. What the point that Jesus is trying to make is that look, you're going through suffering now. Don't worry, I will remove you from the greater suffering that is to come. Jesus will take us out of this world. Again, this hour of testing implies that Jesus 
it's, there's a definite argue the hour of testing implies that these individuals know what Jesus is talking about. Um, Matthew 24 speaks about the hour of testing, and, and this testing here is this refining. You know, see how at the end of verse 10 is like the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. This isn't testing like, um, you know, testing do you believe or not. This is actually testing non-believers. It's a test to show that they're sinners and that they'll be judged for it. It's a test to show them that how wicked they really are. And this is going to be this global event. Whatever how and you know, you read the rest of Revelation, it explains in graphic detail what it's supposed to look like. We may not fully understand how it looks like, but when it happens, we will understand if you understand the book uh, Revelation. But by then, when it happens, we'll be in glory. So it's like, you know, it's cool. Um, he's telling them that it's going to happen. This global event is going to happen, and everyone's going to know that, uh, that one, that they are sinners, and that God is the one true God. So that's their strength is that because of their because of what they have you know been doing holding on to truth they're going to be removed from uh, the the hour of testing and I trust that this is actually a hope that they they held on to and the hope that you and I can hold on to. Yes, our culture seemed to be growing in their antagonism towards Christianity. Things seem to be worse, but it's as bad as this has to offer. It's it's not going to be as bad as what God is going to do to the world. He's going to humble the world. People in Revelation says that they're going to hide in the mountain. God, it's not like, it even said like, oh, uh, uh, I don't want to be seen by God. But it's like, God's not like, oh, you're in a mountain. I can't see you. No, God's just going to level that mountain on top of them. He's not afraid um, of what he's going to do. He's not like, he, he's omniscient. He's omnipresent. And he will do what he must because he's patient. And even his patience runs out at some point. And when and when God executes that judgment onto the world is perfectly just and holy, so that's our strength, and I hope that that's our strength as well. That we hold on to the gospel, that we hold on to the promises of God, and that we, from the time being, no matter how hard things get, that we just continue to endure, trusting in the promises that's revealed in His Word. So that's their strength. Their weakness, again, there's none. They don't have any weaknesses, uh, but they're a call to continue to endure, which gets their third point: Philadelphia's response. Look at the last two verses. Uh, well, before that, before I get that, this section actually ends in the same way that every other um, letter to the churches end. It, it promises a reward. Each church gets a promise. Um, even the churches that are very terrible, they get like, if you repent, and here's the, the promises that I make for you. Each of these are heavenly rewards. It's the incentives that motivate you. And the Bible speaks of both types of incentives. You, there's like the threats. Like, if you don't do this, you're going to go to hell. Um, if you uh, fall on this and you're not going to be happy, um, you're going to lose your joy. Um, uh, he's going to, or I'm going to discipline you. Those are the negative, but there's also the positive as well. Um, you know, scripture speaks of uh, how we need to cherish heavenly things. It will be rewarded with eternal things or that, um, you know, things that, you know, there's certain type of things that we do. Some are going to be perished, uh, you know, burned like, like, like hay and stubble. Other things that we do in this life is going to be, um, it's going to be like gold and silver and they're going to endure. Uh, and I think that's, that's good because it gives us balance. Like Christianity is not just all, okay, I need to stay away from things out of fear, but also it motivates to strive for something in the future, uh, so strive and look forward to something that God has promised us. Uh, every time when, well, not every time, for a while, when, um, when, when Kelly and I would give uh, our daughter a bath, uh, she was she, she liked it for a while, then she became ter- terrified of taking a bath. Every time we like, you know, she likes the water kind of, but then when we have to wash her hair, she hates it. She like cries and cries. And then at one point I decided, I'm just gonna motivate her in a positive. I told her, 
you can watch an episode of a cartoon if you go in the bath and 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 we can you know, if you go through the bath and she went she just like okay and she starts you know, taking off her clothes by herself and then it jumps into the bathtub and then you know when we're washing her hair and and that moment we had to come out when we begin washing her that's when she gets like you know scared and we're like no you have to be strong in jesus because remember afterwards you get to watch the cartoon and then she like kind of tears up and we had you know, start washing her and then the soap gets in her eyes she's like in pain and it's like it's not even that long it's only like seconds but in her mind it's like forever and i'm, I'm always trying to encourage her it's okay you're gonna watch the cartoon afterwards and then uh, she goes through all this trial and then at the end after she's done taking a bath she goes and watch cartoons Again, this is what Jesus does in a much more greater scale. He knows that we're gonna, we may go through things that hurt our eyes and burn us, and things that like that are just gonna make us feel like we're drowning and just in a lot of great pain. But He motivates us to be strong, to continue to trust Him, because there's going to be rewards for us at the end, and there's going to be work for us in the future that is going to make all this trial and persecution, this life. Um, bearable. And that's the hope that we have as Christians, that we can look toward to the promises that Jesus makes. We see this here, verse 11, I'm coming quickly, hold fast um, what you have so that no one will take your crown. Jesus is coming soon, and that's great news for believers. And this is uh, worse for those who uh, you know, who do not know Christ, because if you can, again, if you read through the rest of Revelation, you know that things are going to get worse for the world. You think global warming is bad? Well, then the Lord is going to light this whole planet on fire. Um, it's just going to get terrible for those who hate Jesus Christ. All in Christ will be rescued, and they get to keep their crown. Crown in the scriptures usually especially even in Roman time, they would put this, these crowns, this like almost like a reef on their head to symbolize that they've, that they've won, that they, they have victory. And Jesus is saying that no one can take that from you. It's not like the reef on your crown that just perishes, but this is something that's eternal. And um, Jesus promised them that they will be with, that all of us will be with him. Verse 12, he who overcomes, I will make uh, him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will go, not go down, go out from it anymore. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. So this is all kingdom language, meaning that, look, the moment we get either raptured or die, we, we, we go into the presence of God right away. Um, and then when the, if, you know, when, when Christ comes back and just destroys the earth and judges the world, then he'll bring everyone back. And that's where we'll reign with him. Um, we will be with him. And then we see this in Revelation, the last two chapters in Revelation. Um, and it has a temple language. And this is, again, referencing back to Ezekiel. You can look that up yourself. Uh, but we will reign and rule with Jesus. Um, and it says that we will not go out from any more. Uh, Jesus will bring us into this eternal state uh, that means that uh, there is there is just a place where Christians will never have to, uh, we'll be like those pillars that just unmovable. We'll always be there with Christ uh, for all of eternity. This is what our hope is, and we'll be rewarded for all the times that we've suffered in this life. You have to understand that the Bible speaks of heaven, not in terms of like we're floating in the clouds somewhere. Uh, no, rather we return to this world, this physical world that we are inhabiting now is just going to be reformed and undone and be made into like Eden again, into his paradise. So we will come back after death or after the rapture. At some point we come, enter back into this world with our glorified body and we'll reign with him for all of eternity. 
this should motivate us uh, as Christians that no matter how hard things get, we just need what we need to do is just continue to hold on because Christ is coming quickly. Um, Christ is coming quickly, and that means that and it's imminent. And I think sometimes we we assume like, oh, uh, God won't come back until after I'm done with college or when I'm done with my career. Once I reach retirement, once I'm useless in the world, then Christ will return. No, Christ can come at any time, and that should give us great. Um, it should give us. It should warm our hearts because we want to see Him. If we delight in the Lord and the rapture, the doctrine of this of the rapture should make us be excited because we know that He is going to come back. It's is an imminent return. We don't know when, but that's okay. That's fine. We just continue living faithful and holy lives. This is what we're called to be. And this this portion ends the same way as it does every other section. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So the question you want to ask yourself is that, are you someone who believes in the scriptures? These people in Philadelphia, they are under persecution. They've, they're holding on to the gospel and they're now clinging to it because you know, the persecutions are coming all around them. And the only thing they have is not the, the wealth, it's not their comfort, not their home, not their physical building. The only thing they have is the, the promises that God has given them. And that only comes if you've received Jesus Christ. I don't know how many of you have truly, you know, again, because I can't see what's going on in your hearts. You need to ask yourself, do I have the same devotion like the people here in Philadelphia? Am I willing to hold on um, no matter how difficult things are because of the promises that God has made? Again, God has made a plenty of promises in Scripture. And all those, there's some that have, there's some in Scripture have fulfilled in his first coming, and there will be those that have yet to be seen in second coming. And we look forward to that day. And Jesus says that he is preparing a place for us. And he knows. He knows your pain. He knows your suffering. And he's going to reward you for your faithfulness. So if you, as we endure through persecution in the coming ages and months, years potentially, um, hold fast to Jesus. You can, because you know that your future is secure in him, but also that we have eternal rewards for our faithfulness. Let us close our time in prayer. Father God, thank you for your word again. We're so thankful and blessed to know that you're returning. And um, we long for you, Lord, when we look at just the news and all around us, how corrupted and broken this world is. Um, we want you to just make things right. Um, there's nothing that we we can do other than sharing the gospel and being faithful and living holy lives, but there's nothing that we can, we can, that can stop your plan or to make things better in this world because we know that ultimately when you return, that's when everything will finally be good again. Uh, everything will be uh, bliss and Lord, we long for the day where we can see you face to face. Lord, keep us, uh, continue to allow us to endure during uh, times of persecution, times that are difficult to be a Christian. May we um, cling to the promises that you've made for us, um, and may we just continue to dwell on those things, knowing that these things are good, and they're pure, and they motivate us to strive to live life that's pleasing to you. Thank you for the time that we have. Pray these in your son's name.